What's up, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the first and foremost sports podcast. I am your co-host, Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. What's going on, y'all? What's up? What's up? What's good, Jimmy? How you doing, bro? Man, chilling, my guy. Uh, It's the off day right here, so what about you? Man, today was a bit of a grinded out day for me, but I made it, so I can't complain. It's like it be like this sometimes, man. Man, for sure, for sure. Well, we got a lot of good topics on deck for our audience today, so let's get right to it, shall we? Yes, sir. So first up, we got, of course, the NFL conference championships happened this past weekend. Uh, so we'll kind of recap those real quick. Uh, so Jimmy, what what were some of your takeaways from the NFL conference championship? Well, uh, with the AFC Championship game, it was what I expected. Uh, I didn't expect Buffalo to jump out nine to zero. I was actually at work the first twenty first twenty minutes. I got off work at six o'clock. So, uh, but what I did catch, you know, when I first when I got a chance to tune in, it was already nine zero. So I was a little concerned, and then I look up, KC didn't score, and I look up, they scored again. So from there, I knew it was a wrap. I knew it was a wrap. I knew they. You know, Buffalo was overpowered going into that. I knew they couldn't stop Kansas City defensively. I knew they didn't have a chance. And Josh Allen didn't play well at all. Uh, Threw 48 passes and had only 287 yards. Led the team in rushing once again. Uh, He struggled against Baltimore and against Kansas City. Uh, Nobody's really even mentioned it, to be completely honest with you. Uh, But that's definitely what I expected, you know, with KC and Buffalo, in which me and you both predicted that KC would win in terms of NFC Championship, I was disappointed. I didn't think uh, there would be a team in the NFC that could go into Green Bay and win, but Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it. Tom Brady, once again, going to the Super Bowl for the 10th time, uh, which is amazing. He's been to the Super Bowl 48% of his career, career, and that's uh, simply amazing. Uh, He did get some help from the referees towards the end of the game. I think one thing that I have, you know, I've echoed for years is that when it's a close game and Tom Brady's on the side of the field, his team is definitely going to get the benefit of the calls. And that's exactly what happened towards the end of that game. Uh, the, they had been letting the defensive back, backs play all game. They were physical. And, you know, when it came down to it, they made their call that basically took the game away from Green Bay. Uh, But Green Bay definitely had their chances, I will say that. You know, on that when when the Green Bay decided to kick their field goal late in the fourth quarter, and Rodgers had an opportunity to run. Uh, everybody was saying that he should have ran. He maybe would have scored. I don't believe he would have scored. JPP was right behind him, and Carlson Davis had a free hit on him. I think he maybe would have got two or three yards, and that would have put him in better position to go for it on fourth down. Uh, but even then, you know, Matt LaFleur, I think either way he would have kicked the field goal, which I understand. Uh, the defense had been playing well, had a couple interceptions in the second half. You know, had three timeouts at the two-minute warning. So you're thinking, you know, my defense has been playing well this half. They can get a stop, but they weren't able to get a stop. And it basically, you know, cost them the game down the stretch. Uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't great in the fourth quarter. He completed five of 11 passes for only 54 yards. And, you know, when a guy that great, you definitely expect him, you know, to raise his level of play come the fourth quarter when the chance to the Super Bowl is on – a trip to the Super Bowl is on the line. Uh, and that's something he did simply did not do. Uh, the Packers running game was non-existent after, you know, 191 yards in the last game against the Rams. So, the, you know, 
I definitely expected the running game to make a bigger, bigger impact, but they were going against Tampa and they were number two against the run all year long. So, you know, you know, they would be, they would have, that was an interesting matchup to watch. I'm disappointed. Like I said, I did not want Tom Brady to go back to the Super Bowl once again, but there he is. Three things are certain. Death, taxes, and almost Tom Brady in the Super Bowl every year, it seems like. Uh, but like you said, the AFC side, I'll start there first. Uh, probably the best game we've seen from Kansas City in weeks. Uh, you know, the first game against Buffalo, it was actually Kansas City's running game. Kansas City ran for like 240 yards uh, on Buffalo. But, you know, this time around, they flipped the switch a little bit, and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were pretty much unstoppable and were able to get whatever they wanted, which, by the way, they'll be adding Sammy Watkins this week. They didn't even have him last week. Uh, but Kansas City played like they had a statement to make. Uh, people was really hyping up Buffalo, really thinking they might have a chance to upset the Chiefs. You know, Josh Allen had a, a – MVP candidate type year, uh, nonetheless. But as we saw Sunday, they just they just didn't match up with Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City's defense they they did a good job for the most part uh, of containing Stephon Diggs. Uh, they made plays when they needed to, and most importantly, they always seem to play well when they can get a lead. Uh, so definitely hats off to them. But for Kansas City to repeat. As Super Bowl champs, it's only happened eight times in NFL history. Uh, so it'll be impressive nonetheless if they manage to pull off uh, the victory sun or in two Sundays. And then looking at the Bucks and Packers, uh, you know, it simply just boils down to the, the Bucks played better in the bigger moments when it mattered. You know, right before halftime, you had, you know, the Packers throw an interception, and then the Bucks get the ball right back. What does Tom Brady do? He takes advantage of the Packers. For some reason, you think they're playing to prevent the defense from going deep, but they're in single high man coverage, and Scotty Miller goes in for a touchdown right before halftime. And I think from that point on, the Packers were always in a position of having to be on the defense and re- reacting to what Tampa Bay did. Uh, And I think that's what led to the fourth quarter. You had Aaron Rodgers, the first two drives, which you mentioned how bad he was in the entire fourth quarter. Uh, like And specifically the first two drives, he was one for four for only five yards, and he took two sacks. And, of course, those two drives were three and outs. And the second one, of course, came after – the Packers' defense got them an interception. Uh, so I definitely think you have to dish out blame to Aaron Rodgers, but also to the coaching staff. Uh, you know, you brought up the play where it looked like Aaron Rodgers had space to run a little bit on that third down play. Uh, but ultimately, regardless of what happened there, you know, they should have went for it on fourth down. I mean, all Tom Brady had to get was a first down. I would have taken my chances and went for six if I was Green Bay, especially if I got Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback. But that's just me. Uh, But 
looking ahead to the Super Bowl, I think this is definitely an interesting matchup, a highly anticipated matchup. Uh, the first game, the, of course, these two teams already played each other. If you remember, Tyreek Hill had 203 receiving yards only in the first quarter. I don't know what Tampa Bay was thinking, playing man against Tyreek Hill with Carlton Davis. Uh, but I guess after that first quarter, they figured it out. And Tampa Bay nearly made a comeback in that game. They came up just short. Uh, the Bucks couldn't get the ball back again. But I think this game is going to come down to Tampa Bay is going to have to get pressure with only four guys. I think they are capable. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, Kansas City's left tackle, Eric Fisher, I believe he got injured in the AFC Championship game, and most likely he'll probably be out for the Super Bowl. Uh, so you got Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul on the other side. So Patrick Mahomes' ability to move in the pocket uh, and make throws under pressure is going to be something to keep an eye on. And Tampa Bay had five sacks against Green Bay. So they were able to make Aaron Rodgers uncomfortable at moments. So we'll see if they can do the same thing to Patrick Mahomes. Definitely. Uh, you hit all, hit all the points right there. One thing I did want to mention is that coming into the game, I knew uh, for the Green Bay Packers secondary that Kevin King was definitely the weak link. Weak link. And when you got Mike Evans, you know, Chris Godwin, who led our, who had a monster game, uh, and Scotty Miller with the speed, you know, I, I knew they, at some point they were going to take advantage of Kevin King, and they definitely abused him. They hit him for two touchdowns and hit him for their big play at the end of the game. They essentially ended on their penalty. So, you know, tough mm -hmm. day for Kevin. Tough day for Kevin King. All right. Well, that's enough of recapping conference championship weekend. Up next, one of the biggest headlines outside of the playoffs in the NFL right now is, of course, the speculation surrounding Deshaun Watson. Pretty much the word is he's done in Houston. So, Jimmy, where do you think are the best destination spots for Deshaun Watson? Before I get to that, I want to give the people some background information on the situation. It started way back in August uh, when the Houston Texans decided to trade DeAndre Hopkins, who's arguably the best receiver in football, traded him to the Arizona Cardinals for an aging running back and a second-round pick. Then in September, Deshaun Watson signed a four-year, $156 million extension with a $27 million signing bonus and $73 million guaranteed. He still had two years left on his rookie deal. So uh, with that being said, the Texans must keep Deshaun Watson signing bonus on their salary cap. So if he got traded, his salary cap on a new team would just be $10.5 million in 2021. And then that team will wind up paying $82.5 million over the next three seasons. Last week, Deshaun Watson named the New York Jets as his number one option, and he named the Miami Dolphins as his number two option. But I don't believe uh, New York Jets should be an option at all, uh, considering, you know, they only have one. I, I think they have one good offensive lineman, Makai Becton, who's a rookie last year. He's looking like he may be a perennial all-pro. He played very well last year. Don't really have any weapons outside of Jamison Crowder. Uh, like I said, the rest of the offensive line needs some work, so I don't think that's a wise option at all. Uh, but my number one option for Deshaun Watson is the San Francisco 49ers, and I know that's something that you're going to like, Quinn. There we go. <laughs> they do 
They do. I believe they do have the assets uh, to offer you know the Texans a nice package for Deshaun Watson. I think it starts with the 12th overall pick in this year's draft. I think Jimmy Garoppolo and possibly you know the 44th pick on the second round, or possibly a first round pick next year. You know, I think that's the basis for a deal to get Deshaun Watson in San Francisco. Listen, Kyle Shanahan is arguably the best play caller in football. They have George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. You know, and they always have some, you know, some some serviceable run, running backs in the backfield. Uh, but my only thing with the San Francisco 49ers is that, is that they have 27 unrestricted free agents. And uh, some of those free agents include Trent Williams, uh, who was one of the best left tackles in football last year, Richard Sherman, uh, starting safety Jaquaski Tart, uh, do-it-all fullback Kyle Juszczyk, Tevin Coleman, and Jason Verrett. Those guys are all restricted free agents. And, uh you know, I was looking at the salary cap situation, and it looks like you guys could have maybe close to $30 million in cap space. But if you trade for Deshaun Watson, well, it's automatically going to be $10 million. It's already gone. So it leaves you with 20. You got a premier left tackle, got a fullback, you know, got a cornerback that played extremely well last year. So, you know, so kind of like, you know, how do you fill out the rest of the roster and fill out positions in need uh, with the lack of cap space? So that's my only thing with the San Francisco 49ers is – you know, the amount of unrestricted free agents and who do you bring back and how do you, you know, fill out the roster and take care of some some holes or some needs within their roster. Uh, second, I have the Miami Dolphins. They have 10 picks in this year's draft. They have two first-round picks and they have two second-round picks. You know, I, to get a deal for Deshaun Watson done, you got to include Tua. The third pick, I'm sure, I'm sure a second-round pick and possibly, you know, a first-round pick next year. Maybe a first, another first and another second next year. I think that might would be able to get an, be enough to get it done for Deshaun Watson. Uh, but we're looking at the guy who led the league in passing last year. And, you know, he had a historically great season. Uh, Tua, you know, struggled. I don't know, you know, how, how the Houston Texans view Tua. I don't know if they view him as a valuable piece or not. Uh, but I think, you know, to get a deal done, I, you would have to include, include Tua. And a couple first round picks at the very least. And I'm probably gonna want a couple second round picks too, considering that the Texans really don't have any draft capital uh in this year's draft. You know, with you know, with Miami, you know, most of the you know, their defense is mostly gonna be intact. I think all of their defensive starters should be returning next season. Uh, offensively, they have Devontae Parker and Mike Gasecki to throw the ball to. But I think, you know, running back, offensive line and, and wide receiver are positions where they could upgrade at. And in terms of running back free agents, you know, they have Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake, Le'Veon Bell's a free agent, Leonard Fournette, Phillip Lindsey, Tevin Coleman, Mike Davis, and Jamal Williams. All those guys are free agents. And I think the only the only guy out of the running back group that would command a big deal is Aaron Jones. The rest of those guys you should be able to get, you know, on a team-friendly, serviceable deal. In terms of offensive line, they got some big names here that are free agents. Brandon Scherf of the All-Pro Guard from the Washington football team. Joe Tooney, a New England Patriot. Like I mentioned earlier, Trent Williams, uh, Russell Okun, longtime veteran tackle, Alex Mack, Mike Pouncey, David Andrews, Corey Lindsley. All of those guys are free agents. And those are offensive linemen. They provide instant upgrades for the Miami Dolphins. And in terms of the wide receiver, I think this is one of the best wide receiver free agency class, classes that I've seen. Uh, it's headlined by Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Kelly Galladay, Corey Davis, T.Y. Hilton, Marvin Jones, Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, Curtis Samuel, all of those guys 
are free agents. And the one free agent I've seen linked to Miami is possibly Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, who played, you know, he, he played well last year with Pittsburgh. And, you know, despite them not throwing the ball down, he did put up some decent numbers. Uh, so, you know, I love to see either one of those guys. You know, I talk a lot about Chris Godwin. I love to see Chris Godwin play with Deshaun Watson in Miami uh, if they were able to trade for him. And so, you know, I think San Francisco is the best spot because of the head coach and, you know, with Kittle and Debo Samuel and Ayuk. But I think the most realistic spot for him would be Miami. You know what? You won't get too much argument from me because I actually had the same number one and number two. Uh, you know, first start with San Francisco, like you said, Kyle Shanahan is almost as good as it gets as any play caller or offensive play caller in the league right now. And that would instantly probably make Deshaun Watson an MVP. Uh, I mean, this this team right now, the way it's currently constructed, they could compete for a Super Bowl now. And if they make the right moves in the next three to four years, uh, and you, of course, mentioned they already got weapons. You got George Kittle. You got Debo Samuel, who will be healthy this year. And Brandon Ayuk, who showed lots of flashes as a rookie last year. Uh, And then secondly, the Dolphins, I think, will also be a great fit. I love that fit, actually, Uh, especially given he'll have a a defensive-minded head coach and Brian Flores. But I think him and Deshaun Watson will be able to balance each other out pretty well. Uh, And I think with that Miami roster, Deshaun Watson would be the missing piece that could get them to a Super Bowl. Uh, At least at this point, I'm not sold on Tua. Maybe he just needed a year to get acclimated, get 100% healthy. Uh, But he's an unproven commodity right now. So if I'm Miami and I can trade Tua for Deshaun Watson, I wouldn't hesitate. But I give you a third wild card to throw in. If he doesn't go to San Francisco or Miami and this, I was sticking with teams who could win now, but I I guess this would be my team. I throw in as a team he could compete with in maybe three, four years or so, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's based on the fact that you have the number one overall pick uh, along with lots of other assets. And then, They have lots of cap space. They have the second most, I believe, behind the Jets. And then you already have young weapons on offense to go along with the offensive-minded head coach and Urban Meyer. And I think the thing that will work the best between Urban Meyer and Deshaun Watson, Urban Meyer will be a first-year NFL head coach, kind of learning the ropes and how the, the league is different from college football. And I think wherever Deshaun Watson goes next, it's going to be important that he has some say and has some power and authority. Uh, So if he's able to pair with somebody that's a first-year head coach, I could see that working out for him pretty well. So those would be my three spots that I could see him landing in. But definitely keep an eye on somewhere like, well, I don't know if they'll have the assets to trade for him, but – Keep an eye on somewhere like New Orleans or something. I think New Orleans doesn't have the cap space 
necessary. So I, I I saw an article about that earlier, and I just don't see any way where that happens, where he gets to New Orleans. I think Jameis Winston will resign there. I could see that happening. Or even, yeah, pretty much all the rest of the options, they take a lot of strings that they have to pull to get Deshaun Watson. Even uh, somebody like Chicago um, or, you know, a team that's always going after a quarterback, Denver, I don't know if they really have the best cap situation right now either. And I definitely wouldn't want him to end up playing for the Broncos. Definitely not. (laughs) Well, we also got another big-time quarterback who's at the center of a lot of trade speculation right now, and that's a guy in Detroit who could use a change of scenery, and that's Matthew Stafford. So, Jimmy, if he does get traded, who do you see as the best fit for his services? I had three teams in mind immediately, and, I, you know, I'm going to have to go with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Phillip Rivers just retired. Jacoby Brissett is set to be a free agent, and they're going to have a projected 64, almost $65 million in cap space or per over the cap. They have the best offensive line in the league. They have a good rushing attack with a young running back, and they have a good young defense. Uh, they will obviously need to you know, add a wide, wide receiver via free agency. T.Y. Hilton is a free agent. Uh, they will either look to bring him back or look to you know upgrade over T.Y. Hilton, uh, who – Hasn't been what he was in years past, this past season. So, you know, I I think the Colts is maybe the best spot. And, you know, obviously, you know, you got San Francisco once again. But I mentioned, you know, the the amount of free agents uh, is what concerns me about, and, you know, who they decide to bring back. You know, and I was even thinking maybe even the Washington football team. Uh, Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke are both free agents. You know, it's un, it's unclear whether Alex Smith is going to return again. And offensively, do have some talent. Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas. Uh, you know, they would need to, you know, help with the offensive line because the offensive line surrendered 50 sacks last year. And obviously, I don't think Matthew Stafford would want to go to a place with another bad offensive line. Mm, no. Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking the Colts uh, would definitely be the best spot for Matthew Stafford. Yeah, yeah. Once again, you're not going to get too much argument from me on this one. I think it makes too much sense for him to go to a team like the Colts. Like you said, best offensive line in the game. They got, you know, Jonathan Taylor, who's a monster. They could bring T.Y. Hilton back or, you know, bring in. If they get Matthew Stafford, they might want to bring Kenny Galladay along with them or, you know, upgrade to somebody like Allen Robinson. Uh, so they'll have a lot of flexibility there. And then the good thing about the Colts, a lot of their good players outside of DeForest Buckner, they're all on cheap rookie contracts. You know, Quinn Nelson, uh, you got Darius Leonard, you got uh, their center, Ryan Kelly. Those are all, or even the running back, Jonathan Taylor. Like I said, all good players on rookie contracts. So that definitely gives them some flexibility with the quarterback position. I think if they weren't in the same division, this could be a team we could easily look at for Deshaun Watson. But I don't see them making a, t- a trade like that within the same division. I don't either. But I will say with them with them needing less assets to pull off a trade for them, I think 
this may be the more realistic option for somebody like San Francisco. Definitely. Because like you said, we're going to need all the assets and the money that we can hold on to to try to retain some of those other free agents. Or at that point, you don't have the same Super Bowl caliber roster that you once had. And, you know, with the 49ers, you know, originally Kyle Shanahan wanted Kirk Cousins. And, you know, I look at Matthew Stafford talent-wise. It's an upgrade. <laughs> don't remind Cousins. me. I think Matthew Stafford is a ta- definitely a talent upgrade uh, from Kirk Cousins. I think he's a better version of Kirk Cousins. More arm strength, can make every single throw, uh, even the throws that Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers makes. He can, routinely can make those throws. So, you know, that'd, be, that'd definitely be a nice fit. But like I said, I think the Colts are, you know, the best fit. Right. And I think something, too, I guess at this point, the only question we have of Matthew Stafford is, you know, is he a winner as a football player? And so I think another factor that's going to play into it, he needs to go somewhere that already has a winning culture uh, established and in place. You know what? I've thought about that, too. Is he a winner? But if you think about it, you know, he's haven't – I don't think he's had a complete team. Either he's had a great offense and the defense is terrible or, you know, or the offensive line has been terrible. You know, he's only had a run game maybe one or a couple of years when they had Joyt Bell and Reggie Bush. But even then, the defense was suspect. So I don't think he's ever had a, a more well-rounded team than he would have in San Francisco or Indianapolis. No, I agree. But uh, I definitely think he deserves a shot somewhere else. We've seen Detroit time and time again waste players' careers, and it was no different with Matthew Stafford. Uh, But last but certainly not least, (laughs) we got on the slate of topics, of course, Jeremy Pruitt was fired as University of Tennessee's head football coach. Uh, You also have Philip Fulmer retire as the athletic director. Uh, so, Jimmy, kind of what were some of your takeaways from me? Well, you know, for me, oh, I, don't my bad. Really, I don't know. I don't necessarily I don't really follow Tennessee football as much unless, yeah, they're, yeah, playing, yeah. unless they're really playing. Football. I don't really know too much about the program, uh, but we do know Jeremy Pruitt, you know, signed an extension and got a raise before the 2020 season. And the balls finished three and seven, finished fifth in the SEC East. And it was pretty much downhill from there. And in case anybody doesn't remember what happened, you know, Tennessee was being investigated for putting money in McDonald's bag <laughs> uh, for for recruit for recruits, uh, you know, and that the the amount wasn't disclosed, and that's something you know I, I would definitely like to know how much were they putting it in, but apparently they weren't putting too much because you know Tennessee still sucks. I mean, let's call it <laughs> let's call it what it is. Hey, they, they was they was getting top ten recruiting classes. I mean, yeah, but they're not turning into any any wins. Uh, they haven't been good basically since uh, Josh Dobbs and Alvin Kamara left, and that was like four years ago. Mm, you're exactly right. Uh, Jared Jared Garantano he entered the transfer portal, committed to Washington State. Of uh, the leading tackler Henry Toa he also entered the transfer portal last week. Uh, but they did hire a new coach, uh, Josh Chappelle uh, from UCF. He has a 28 and 8 coaching record, uh, but his wins have decreased every year uh, since that 12 and 1 campaign in 2018. Uh, won 10 games last year, and he won only six games this year. So, you know, I, you know, you can you can speak to more about the program than I can because you know, obviously, you went to the University of Tennessee. So, 
I'm gonna turn it over to right. you. Right. Right. Appreciate that. Well, of course, for one, Jeremy Prue is probably the worst head coach, or this probably the worst coach head coach tenure at UT since probably I don't know what Derek Dooley probably. Former had kind of a rough way out, I think, too, towards the end of his tenure. Uh, but even Bush Jones, I mean, he had more going for him than Jeremy Pruitt did. Every year for Jeremy Pruitt, it was just like, all right, we had a lot of momentum to end last season, so maybe we'll build on it next year. And then what they get him, we lost to BYU and Georgia State, then came out this year, started 2-0, and then, I don't know, something happened the second half of that Georgia game. Uh, it just looked like the team quit. And, I mean, after that, uh, the season went downhill, hence them finishing 1-6 and six <laughs> the rest of the way. But, uh, you know, remember, Pruitt actually got a contract extension right before the season started. He had initially signed for three years. And... So they gave him this contract extension before the last year, which we see now that was a mistake. And so, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, did they have this self-investigation? Because, by the way, this this investigation was uh, looked into by the university. Like, this wasn't any outside, like, source coming in. Uh, you have to wonder was one of their motives to get out of his contract because to straight up fire Pruitt would have cost them like twelve, thirteen million dollars, and I don't think they were trying to do that. Especially after uh, when Butch got fired, he had like a ten million dollar buyout. Uh, so I definitely wasn't trying to go down that road again. But I think you know bringing in, of course, Danny White and Josh Heupel, they both came from UCF as the athletic director and head coach. So I think it's definitely going to be important having that continuity with each other, especially considering we probably haven't seen the last of the punishment that will come down from the NCAA on UT. Uh, but, you know, Josh Heupel, looking at his resume, he actually played quarterback at Oklahoma, and he was the Heisman runner-up and won a national championship there in 2000. Uh, then he went on – after a brief stint on two practice squads in the NFL, uh, he had coaching stops at Oklahoma, or actually he was tight end coach at Arizona. Uh, then he coached at Oklahoma. Uh, he worked with Landry Jones, worked with Sam Bradford, and then he was actually fired in 2014 before, uh, I think that was when uh, Bob Stoops was still there right before he was out. But, he went on to be offensive coordinator at Mizzou, where they were actually ranked 14th offensively in 2017. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year Drew Locke was quarterback. Uh, and then he went on to UCF. The thing with UCF, remember, actually, Scott Frost was their head coach, and they went undefeated in 2017. So this guy, Josh Heupel, actually inherited most of that undefeated team, hence why they went 12-1 and the year after. And, you know, you brought up the decline over the past two years since then. And so, you know, one concern with this guy is 
how much of his success at UCF uh, was kind of left over from, you know, Ryan Scott Frost coattail and inheriting the roster he had. Uh, so, you know, clearly he's up for this challenge. It's definitely not going to be an easy job. Uh, I think it was best that UT brought in two people who had no affiliation with the university. Uh, these two guys, they know their roles. You know, you're not going to have the athletic director at football practices trying to tell offensive linemen what to do and, you know, vice versa for the head coach. Uh, so I definitely think this was about as good of a hire as it was going to get for UT. None of the, you know, big-time splashy names were going to want to come into a situation like this. Uh, so hopefully they can get things trending in the right direction. Maybe, you know, Josh Heupel can bring that exciting offense he had at UCF uh, to the SEC. Because, you know, I actually saw over the last three years with Pruitt as head coach, Tennessee hasn't even been top 100 offensively, which is pretty sad. <laughs> you know, the, the offense has been extremely terrible uh, since Butch. It's Jones. been unwatchable. <laughs> and I think it's all part of, I think, you know, I think a lot of the blame goes to Jared Garantano because, you know, he didn't. Didn't play well, considering, you know, he was – I think he was the number one dual-threat quarterback in his class. Ah, yeah, which that's another story for another day. <laughs> but, yeah, he came out and – he actually came out of high school and we came out 2016. He was number one dual-threat quarterback out of New Jersey, which should have told you everything you needed to know. He was coming from Northeast to play in the SEC. <laughs> You know, that usually doesn't work out. It's you know, it's different here down south. Exactly. Uh, but you know, even what National Signing Day is coming up, probably not even a week at this point, and he's about to try to have to round out his first recruiting class. So he's working with either even shorter of a time span than Pruitt had when he got hired. I think Pruitt at least had time to get in the early signing period class, but this guy pretty much be working from scraps pretty much. But hopefully some of those good receivers we brought in last year that were freshmen can develop under this guy. And even, you know, either Harrison Bailey or we got Hendon Hooker who came in from Virginia Tech as a transfer. Uh, you know, maybe one of those guys can be serviceable at least this season and give – Tennessee fans, hopefully something to look for because they hadn't had too much since 1998. <laughs> and as a Florida fan, it's just lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it too long, y'all going to be in the same situation. We could never. Dan, Dan Mullen probably down there giving out McDonald's bags himself. No, we don't do that. We recruit legally. <laughs> Nah, but they do. They I did see something where some stuff at Georgia going on, but of course, not everybody's like Tennessee. We're the only ones that managed to get everything about the program leaked. Even the athletic director already said in this whole career, it's only been two times stuff has been leaked, and they've both happened since he's been hired at Tennessee. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah, sad. 
because it was being leaked that this guy might get hired as the head coach as early as yesterday, but they didn't even officially announce it till this morning. So he in for a rude awakening if he if he not used to having stuff leaked because Knoxville a whole different animal when it comes to that. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see how you know how it works out for him. Hopefully, they can be successful. I think the ACC is a little better when Tennessee is more competitive. Man, you're exactly right. It's just one of those brands, uh, that power T, recognizable almost everywhere. But did you have anything else you wanted to add, bro? Uh, not at all. Uh, we have an exciting interview for y'all coming up Friday. And that's all Definitely. And that's all I'm All right. Say. Stay locked in. Be on the lookout. You definitely don't want to miss it. But that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you for tuning in and listening to us. As always, feel free to support us. Follow us on social media. We do have Instagram. We got Twitter. Uh, We also have a Facebook page and a group. Our podcast is available on all platforms. Again, I am your co-host, Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. All right, we appreciate y'all, and until next time, deuces. We out.